Almost 100 years ago, President Calvin Coolidge said, the chief business of America is business. But he didn't say what kind of business. Hi, I'm Rob West. If you're starting your own company, you have options for setting it up. Each has advantages and disadvantages that can be confusing. I'll give you the pros and cons of each today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance Live, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, it's a question we get a lot. I'm starting a business, but I'm not sure how I should set it up legally. Should it be an LLC or a C-Corp or some other type like a partnership or a sole proprietorship? If you choose incorrectly for your particular situation, it could cost you money at tax time. So let's take a look at some of these just in case you want to start your own business someday. And we'll look at the LLC, the C-Corp, and the S-Corp, three of the most common. First, the LLC, or Limited Liability Company. As the name implies, this is a business structure that protects you from the personal responsibility for the company's debts or liabilities. LLCs are really hybrids that combine the characteristics of a corporation with those of a partnership or sole proprietorship. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, it gives you protection from debt collectors and lawsuits involving the company, just as a corporation would. But unlike a corporation, the LLC allows what's called flow-through for tax purposes. That means the LLC doesn't pay corporate income taxes. The company's profits and losses, or deductions, are passed on to the members of the LLC. That avoids the double taxation that a corporation pays when the company pays income tax taxes, and the shareholders then pay income taxes on dividends or capital gains taxes when they sell shares. So an LLC is a formal business arrangement that requires you to file articles of organization with the state, but it's easier to set up than a corporation. It also has certain disadvantages. For example, it may have to be dissolved if a member dies or files for bankruptcy. That's unlike a corporation that theoretically can last indefinitely. Another disadvantage, an LLC is not a good option if you decide to take the company public someday. The ownership or equity stake of an LLC cannot be publicly traded, but for many folks starting a business, forming an LLC is a great way to get started. Now, the LLC is often compared to a C-corporation or C-corp, as in, which should I choose? But in most cases, you wouldn't be faced with that decision. That's because there's a very important distinction between the two. While both an LLC and a C-Corp will protect you personally from the company's debt and liability, the C-Corp does not allow a flow-through treatment of profits and losses for tax purposes. C-Corporations are subject to corporation income taxation. That means the taxing of profits from the business is at both corporate and personal levels, creating the double taxation situation I mentioned earlier. A C-Corp also requires you to hold annual meetings and have a board 
board of directors that's voted on by the shareholders. That's a whole other level of complexity, but it has a major advantage over more simple company structures. That separation between management and the owners or shareholders is what allows C-Corps to live beyond the life of an individual owner since they have many owners called shareholders. It also allows for the possibility of passive income for those shareholders. Now, I said that the question for how to establish a business in most cases won't be a choice between an LLC and a C-Corp. That's because the vast majority of folks who are starting a business would want to avoid the double taxation inherent in a C-Corp. So how do you get around that? Well, it's with an S-Corp. This structure has the best features of both the LLC and the C-Corp. The S-Corp provides you with liability protection, but also allows you to pass profits and losses directly to shareholders, so you're only taxed once. Filing an S-Corp can also reduce personal income taxes for the business owners by characterizing money they receive from the business as salary or dividends to owners. That will often lower their liability for self-employment or FICA taxes. An S-Corp will also generate deductions for business expenses and wages paid to their employees, which again, can be owners. Okay, so those are the advantages and disadvantages of the three most common company structures, just in case you were thinking about starting a business. We're back with your questions just after this. 800-525-7000. Stick around. The opinions offered during this program represent the personal or professional opinions of the participants given for informational purposes only. Any information provided is not intended to replace advice from a financial, medical, legal, or other professional who understands your specific situation. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. All right, it's time to take your calls and questions today. The number to call is 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. We'd love to hear from you and tackle whatever you're considering in your financial life. So let's dive in. We're going to begin today in Ohio with Ashley. You can go right ahead. Oh, excuse me. Iowa is where Ashley's located. Ashley, how can I help you? Okay, yes, I have a question. Um I have a friend who um, is in the military, but they have had, they have a lot of uh, uh, school bills, college tuition. They have a lot of um, debt from school, school, school bills. Okay. And I'd like to know, is there any organization that would specifically deal with helping folks with that kind of debt? Um, reduce the interest or charges or something like that? Is there anything available specifically for college debt? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. Let me ask, Is this uh, are these federal student loans or private? Do you know? I don't know, and I don't know the amount either. Okay. Well, that would be an important uh, distinction. Is the, the person who has these loans, uh, is this a relative of yours, a family member? Um, yes. Okay. All right. And, uh, are they having trouble paying it or is it currently deferred? What's the status? 
Uh, I really, I don't know very much about it. I just was wondering if there was some uh, organization I could refer them to to inquire to see if they could get a, some sort of help with this. I see. You know, there really isn't. I mean, the, the two options you've got is, number one, if you want to share with them, if they happen to be federal student loans, then there is what's called an income-based repayment option that would allow them, based on their financial condition, their income and assets, to trigger potentially a lower monthly payment, which might help them solve for the fact that they you know, don't have the resources to pay on it. Um, apart from that, the only other option would be what's called loan forgiveness, which is a specific program uh, that this person may or may not qualify for that has to do with whether or not they work in the public sector or for one of the various loan forgiveness programs. And uh, studentaid.gov, that's the website, studentaid.gov, would be the, um, the best website to go to see if this particular person is eligible for any of these forgiveness programs. There is also some other forgiveness programs that uh, the president is talking about. We can set aside whether or not we agree with his approach, but uh, nevertheless, unless you have a conviction otherwise, um, there is likely some loan forgiveness available from the federal government as well, just for you know general purposes. So I think that's probably the next option is to explore A, whether or not there's an income-based repayment option available, whether or not this person would qualify for any of the loan forgiveness programs, or more recently, the executive branch loan forgiveness that that the president's office has recently enacted. Those would be the best options. Apart from that, Ashley, there really is no organization or other assistance that I'm familiar with that would be able to help here. Is there... um with federal loans, I understand what you said, and I've, I've written this down. Um, is there any particular, how would I find out that information, or how would they find out that information? Would you uh, yeah. go to student.gov? Is that how you get yeah. it? What? Yes, that'd be a great place to start, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help. All right. You're very welcome. Thanks for your call today. Uh, 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Uh, let's head to uh, Fort Lauderdale. Hi, Alex. How can you? How can we help? Mr. Rob, thank you very much. First off, God bless you and your family for being able to help us. My thank question you. is in regards to uh, personal credit and business loans. I'm trying to help a family friend acquire a business loan for the healthcare practice, but their personal credit score isn't that great. It's like the high 500s, low 600s. So I'm not sure what their options are, but I know they make enough revenue where they should be able to apply for some kind of loan. But I just want to have some details of some information to help them out. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of line of business did you say it is? It's healthcare. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly their personal credit history along with the business credit history is going to be a factor used in evaluating the application. Now, it's not the only factor, and it's not necessarily even the most important, but it is a factor that would be heavily considered, and it's going to have a, a you know, a number, one of the effects of whether or not they're ultimately able to secure the financing. Um, you know, some business loans do require business owners to personally guarantee the debt, in which case they become legally responsible for payment. 
Um, you know, there are certain cases where a business financing, let's say, products, uh, you know, do not require a personal guarantee. Uh, so some of those might be a corporate credit card or where there's what's called invoice factoring, where they're getting a loan against future invoices that are uh, due to be paid uh, down the road. Um, but it, it certainly is, you know, often, um, you know, going to be a consideration with the, you know, according to the U.S. Small Business Administration, the SBA, it's pretty common for a personal guarantee when there's not collateral involved. Um, do you know if there would be collateral or are they just looking for cash support for the business? I'm sure they could get collateral, but I read somewhere that the the revenue stream, I guess their sales, is what will help determine you know how much money they can get and how much, I guess, if they get approved for that loan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it really is just going to come down to uh, kind of what they're looking for. What is the purpose of the loan? Um, you know, again, maybe they could do invoice factoring if that's an option. Uh, otherwise, you know, potentially, uh, you know, they could provide other collateral for the business itself. Uh, and then a lot of it has to do with, as you said, their their cash flow and, and other assets, how long they've been in business, what kind of business structure they have. Uh, you know, all of those are going to be factors. So, uh, you know, I think ultimately they have to decide first whether they want to make a personal guarantee on it. And then I would look at, at different financing products because they're not all created equal. And then you compare the rates and the terms, you know, of course, across multiple lenders in the same way you would if you were trying to get a personal loan. But uh, at the end of the day, it, I think it's going to come down to the the strength of the business, the longevity of it, and then whether or not they want to give that personal guarantee. Perfect. Thank you, Rob. I guess part B of the question is SBA, private, or um, pretty much mean both the same? Yeah, absolutely. So the SBA loans are going to be a great place to start just because they have the government backing. So a lot of times they can provide more favorable terms. Um, so I would take a look at that probably as a starting place. And then you could, you know, have them compare other private options against that. But I think an SBA loan is a great beginning point for sure. Thank you, Rob. I heard the music. I like I'm at the Grammys. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. We're we're gently escorting you off the stage, Alex. But uh, I appreciate your call today and, and congratulations on that award, by the way. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. Let me remind you before we head to this break that it's the last day of the month. That's right. It's Leap Day. This is a big day, which just simply means that we can use your financial support here at Faith and Finance Live to reach our listener support goal for the month. Just head to faithfi.com and click give. We're back with more questions after this. Hey, great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls and questions. All the lines just about full. Looks like we have one available at 800-525-7000. All right, let's head back to the phones to Lincoln, Nebraska. Hi, David. Go ahead, sir. Thank you, Rob, for taking my call. I have a neighbor who wants to buy 20 feet of a property I own, which I'm willing to do, but I have no concept of how to determine fair market value for the property and how to determine if I made an income and what income tax uh, implications that has. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so a couple of thoughts here. Number one is, do you have a mortgage on this property? No. 
Okay, well, that's good. So you it would need to be mortgage free in order to do that. Uh, I think the next step is to consult a real estate attorney and really follow all the legal steps to properly sever and then ultimately sell a parcel of land, even a small one, uh, because you're going to need to investigate local zoning laws and land use restrictions before subdividing it. And then, you know, there is tax implications. You need to check with your CPA, but that portion that you sell that doesn't involve your home would now probably no longer, uh, you know, be able to be counted toward the uh, residence, primary residence exemption. And therefore, it would be subject to capital gains. Um, so for that portion, you'd establish a cost basis and then determine how much is the gain, and then you'd pay capital gains tax on that. Uh, so you'd want to get your land appraised by an independent appraiser, and then um, you know the county would have to be involved in subdividing it uh, because you're going to have to make sure that you ensure that you know you have clear property boundaries uh, through a professional survey, um, and then you want to just factor in any implications long term of you know, the effects on your remaining property after the sale, just making sure it's not creating any ingress and egress issues, things like that. So I think you got a little homework to do, starting with a real estate attorney about the the proper steps legally to to sell off that parcel with local zoning with regard to use restrictions, and then ultimately, um, you know, with a uh, getting a survey and an appraisal to establish the value and the the clear property boundaries, and then ultimately with your CPA. So you're going to have to be the quarterback on on a number of folks that will be involved in this just to make sure you've got all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. Does that make sense? Yeah, so to figure out the uh, value, the appraiser will be able to do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the, they'll be able to give you a land appraisal and then, you know, be able to separate that out for the parcel that you want to sell. All right. Thank you. Okay. Absolutely. We appreciate your call today. Uh, let's go to Orlando. Carla, you're next on the program. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my husband and I would be retiring and downsizing, but our daughter moved in with her children and... Um, can't really support herself. So our house is valued at 350, we owe 61. I only have 50,000 in a 401k and my husband thinks we should look into a reverse mortgage and I'm not sure about that. Hmm. Yeah, Carla, I mean it's certainly a tool that could be really helpful here. Uh, is this the home you all plan to stay in for the foreseeable future if you can afford it? Yes and no. It's it's really quite large, and um, as far as it's almost an acre, and I see myself getting, you know, we need we don't need a swimming pool anymore. It's when the kids were younger, we've been here twenty years, so I, I we really kind of thought we would downsize and move by his brother, actually. Okay. But yeah. But what are the implications of that decision, and the you know the fallout of that now that your daughter and her kids are there? I feel it's important to maintain that they are unity with us at this point because they've been through a lot. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, Have you all talked through or have you considered yourself just what the timeline is on this? Um, Probably a few years. I don't know what's uh, at least five more years probably. All right. Now, 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then uh, you said your husband is 70, you're 69. Are you uh, one or both of you working now and on the way to retirement or are you already retired? I retired, but I went back to work. And okay. he also did, but uh, he's not working at this moment. Okay, and what's the plan for that at, moving forward? He's looking for work, and um, I, my daughter isn't in a position that she earns enough without child support. She really can't really afford two children by herself. Okay, so uh, are you needing to come home to help her care for the kids, or is she just going to uh, stay home and... Uh, take care of them at this point? Um, I'm really uh, just letting them do their own thing kind of thing at this point. Okay. All uh, right. Very good. And with him not working, but you working, is are you all falling behind every month or are you able to pay the bills? No, we're able to pay the bills and I'm able to, um, we can make it off of our social security and I'm saving what I'm earning, but I, I feel it's been a you know quite a setback supporting them for you know so many years too. Sure, it's sure. Been a little, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can certainly understand that. Uh, so you're actually making the mortgage payment right now because you do have a small mortgage today, correct? Correct. We're okay. The mor- we're paying. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of options here. I mean, one is you know you all could just kind of weather this, knowing that listen, this isn't ideal, but we're staying afloat. Uh, and we think this is just for a few years, and ultimately, you know, Lord willing, she's going to be back out on her own, able to provide for herself, and you all are going to downsize and move. And that would be option one. Option two is we say, no, we, we think this could be a while, and we feel like, you know, we need that extra money today we're putting toward the mortgage, and we don't have the ability to pay it off. And so the reverse mortgage could actually come in, and even if you don't convert the remaining equity into an income stream, which is possible. But even if you don't do that, you could at the very least just stop making the mortgage payment because whatever's left on the mortgage would be paid off by the reverse mortgage. And then that would just grow based on an underlying interest rate and fees over time. And then when you sell it, you'd pay it off. But that would at least recoup the mortgage payment during this season. The other option is you actually stop the mortgage payment and you start pulling the equity out in the form of either a line of credit or a, uh, a monthly income stream to you all. I think you could consider each of those and our friends at Movement Mortgage could help you process that. Just go to movement.com slash faith. But let's you and I finish up off the air. I've got to take a break. So stay right there. We'll be right back. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. Hey, our new study's out. That's right. It's the Faith Five study called Rich Toward God. It's a deep dive into Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool. It's an, it's an amazing passage of scripture that confronts some key topics related to money and our hearts. And if you're in a small group, maybe a church, and you're looking for a, a great Bible study dealing with a practical issue that would be really helpful to you and others, consider Rich Toward God. It, uh, it's meant to be used over four weeks. You can use it personally or in a small group. It's beautifully designed. And uh, as you tackle some of these important questions, 
questions about the uncertainty of tomorrow and what it means to live rich toward God and how we can find our true abundance in God and not the things of this world, I think it's life-changing. It really will draw you into a more intimate relationship with God and challenge you to make God your ultimate treasure. Uh, Check it out today. You'll find it at faithfi.com. Just click shop at the top of the page. That's faithfi.com. All right, we're going to head back to the phones to uh, Joliet, Illinois. Hi, John. Go right ahead. Hi, Rob. You're doing a fantastic job. God bless you for the work that you do. Well, thank you, sir. That's very uh, I'm, kind. I'm addicted. I'm addicted to you because I have to listen to you every day. For for I mean, I have to every day. I cannot <laughs> miss you. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that, John. I don't want you addicted well, to anything you, but Jesus. But I appreciate the sentiment. You, 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 you like a drug addiction. <laughs> oh boy, it's getting <laughs> worse by the moment. <laughs> Maybe Look, we ought to move you to your little, question. Okay, I want to give you a little history on what I'm doing here. I purchased, uh, first of all, I'm 76 years old. 11 years ago, I purchased an annuity from an insurance right. company. I invested uh, $40,000 in this uh, cash money in this annuity. All right. And I've held on to it for 11 years as of today. All right. And the total uh investment value of it is 60,000. And I had uh, if I was to annuitize it today, I would have a lifetime income of about $3,493. Okay. All right. My question my question is uh since I'm up in age and I've had some a few health issues, uh, I do have a bank that's offering six, all, close to 6% on a CD yeah. to lock it in. So I was trying to decide on whether it would make sense for me to either withdraw this $60,000 down because I won't have to pay any, any penalties because I've held it on for 11 years, to take the 60000 and invest in the CD, almost 6%, and have full control of the money. So that's why I'm trying to – I've been throwing it around whether I want to do that or not. So yeah. I'm trying to get some input from you. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, are you looking for an income stream, or are you just looking to protect it and grow it? Well, initially, when I did purchase it, I was looking for an income stream. I mean, the income stream is fine, but I I, I don't think I'm going to outlive the income stream. I don't think I'm going to outlive the investment, the $40,000 investment. So since it's at $60,000, I was thinking just draw it down and have full control of the money. Right. And then invest it in a high CD. Yeah, but you Uh, don't need the money today, correct? Right. That's correct. Okay. And based on your plan moving forward, do you anticipate you're going to need this money or is it really just for the unexpected? It's just for the unexpected. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like this idea. I don't know where you're going to get a 6% CD though. Tell me about that. Okay. There's a bank uh, in Chicago. Uh, They've got a number of branches in the city of Chicago. It's called CIBC. Okay. Okay. And and they're paying almost six percent uh, interest on a CD. But for what? Uh, right for what period paying, of time? A year? 
yeah, you got to put it, uh, got to, uh, uh, yeah, for a year, and you got to invest at least $10,000. Yeah. 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 The, the only challenge with that, John, I like the idea of you pulling it out. You, you're right. You've been in there 11 years. You have the ability to get it back. You can do whatever you want with it. The challenge is when that 12 months is up, rates are going to be a lot lower. And that means that if you want to go back into an annuity, if you're looking for a guaranteed product, you're going to get a much lower return there as well as a new CD. And so I think although the one-year CD rates are pretty attractive right now, I'd love to solve for the return that you want to get longer term, especially while we're in this high interest rate environment. So I guess the question is, number one, do you want to take any risk with this or do you want a guaranteed product only? Okay. Yeah, well, I would have a guaranteed product uh, of if I was to annuitize it, but then I don't know. Uh, I'm concerned about whether what happens to me, uh, what, how are they going to uh, disperse that money? Whether I mean, in regards to my beneficiaries, are they yeah. just going to give them the forty thousand? See, I think all they're going to give them is just the forty thousand dollar investment. I don't think they'll probably give them the game. Uh, yeah. No, and you may they probably won't even get all that either if you annuitize. Uh, a lot of times it just goes away once you die. It just depends uh, on the product and how long you live. Uh, you know, I think a great option would be for you to go ahead and pull it out and think about investing it. Now, what you could do is pull it out put it into the CD for a year and then get and then be prepared when that's up to find an advisor who would take the 60,000 plus the 3,000 in interest that you make the 63,000 and put that to work in a, in a stock and bond portfolio, largely bonds, or you could do that today. The nice thing about that, John is again, you don't need the money. And so I don't think annuitizing is the right uh, approach. Cause that's going to turn it into an income stream, but you don't need the income stream. You've already got your, your bills covered. And so I think putting this to work for you in largely a bond portfolio with, with high quality government and corporate bonds through mutual funds, maybe with a small portion in high quality stocks, maybe like a 70, 30 portfolio, something like that gives you complete access to the money forever, allows you to leave a hundred percent of it for your heirs when you die and still gives you the ability to tap into it if you ever need to. But if you don't, just let it grow. And if the Lord tarries and you're in good health, this money may need to last you a couple of decades or more. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Now, who would be a good advisor for this uh, if I was to do this? Yeah, I can't recommend an individual name, but I can tell you that we trust the Certified Kingdom Advisor designation. So basically, these are men and women who've met extensive experience requirements, character requirements, pastor and client references. They've been trained to bring a biblical worldview. They've had a regulatory review, and that allows them, after a, a proctored exam, to earn the CKA designation, Certified Kingdom Advisor. It's the only one in the financial services industry around biblically wise financial advice. And the way to find one there in Illinois is just to go to our website, John, that's faithfi.com, faithfi.com. Right there at the top of the page, it'll say, find a professional. And if you click that button, put in your zip code, you'll see a list. I'd interview two or three before you made that decision. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do the CD or even go back into an annuity. It would just give you at least another option to consider. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Now, one quick question, real quick. 
Uh, Real quick. Is, is identity is identity in the, uh, insurance uh, worth paying worth paying for? Identity insurance. All right, let's do this. I'll tackle that right after the break, John. So you stay right there. We'll talk about uh, identity theft protection uh, right around the corner. This is Faith and Finance Live. We'll be right back. Hey, so glad to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. Again, it's the last day of the month. This is a great day to uh, support Faith and Finance Live with your financial gift of a one-time gift or as a financial partner. If you've found some value in this ministry or we've been an encouragement to you along the way, we would just invite you to give. We're about $6,000 away from where we need to finish out the month, and you can help us close that gap. Just go to faithfi.com. That's faithfi.com, and click Give at the top of the page. And We'll say thanks in advance. All right, folks, we're going to head back to the phone here in our final segment. And uh, just before the break, we were talking to our good friend, John. He's in Joliet, Illinois. We were talking about an annuity. But, John, right there at the tail end, you wanted to ask about identity theft protection. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Whether it's worth the money. Yeah, it's a great question. And here's my thoughts on it. You know, products that claim to protect your identity typically aren't worth it. Uh, You can freeze your credit for free on your own at all three credit bureaus. Just visit their websites or call them TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. That's going to be about the best safeguard. Number two, you can sign up and get a PIN number to freeze and uh, uh, your identity at uh, the IRS as well. And basically what that means is that somebody can't steal your identity and take your tax refund. So you could put that in place. Uh, Beyond that, just using good best practices, meaning a a password keeper so you can have unique passwords for every account, not using public Wi-Fi to log into your financial accounts, uh, monitoring your credit report, I would say quarterly. Uh, You can grab those credit reports at annualcreditreport.com. So, you know, as long as you're doing those things and then keep your software up to date, like on your operating system for your computer and your phone, and then don't click on links in emails. That's called phishing. Uh, as long as you're doing all those things, John, I don't know that it's it's a necessary expense. The only time I would take full advantage of it is if your information is compromised, often the company that was hacked uh, will extend to its customers free uh, either credit monitoring or identity theft protection. And if it's offered to you as as a part of that, I'd say take full advantage of it. But if you're having to go out there and buy it on your own, I'd probably pass on it if it were me. Okay, that's good advice. I appreciate that, Russ. All right. Hey, John, you've been very kind about the program and uh, your uh, enthusiasm for what we're doing here, and we're grateful. Thanks for calling. Uh, let's head to Canada, northern Alberta. Hi, Christy, go ahead. Hi, Rob. I'm not totally addicted to your show, even though if if I was, it'd be an ethical addiction. But <laughs> I'm so a, a glad to hear time, that. <laughs> a long-time listener, um, Larry Burkett, was very influential how we viewed um, finances and especially debt. It impacted wow. how we taught our young family 33-plus uh, years ago. And uh, this has made a huge difference in all of our lives, ourselves and our children um, that are now adults and our giving. Um, We're very, very grateful for your show. Oh, wow, Christy. That means a lot. Thank you for saying that. 
Yeah, well, I've never called, but I've I've thought and praised God for you for many years. And mm. so I'm glad that you're carrying the torch. Wow, um, my husband and I are believers and in our mid-60s. We're dual citizens of the U.S. and Canada, and okay. half of our working income um, was gained in each country. Uh, we're, we own and operate a farm and have for 40 years. Um, there's no successor in view right now. Um, we want to continue uh, to farm as long as our health allows, um, and, but we have no retirement accounts or um, plans for retirement, but we are completely debt-free. That's been our main drive. Um, so we're not sure if we should start with an accountant or a lawyer or another place. Um, just wondering if uh, there is a certified kingdom helper that would be familiar with agriculture, um, qualified in, in both the U.S. and Canada and retirement planning, or where do we start? Yeah, excellent. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for your kind remarks. I'm so delighted to hear of your testimony about your faithfulness in serving the Lord, His faithfulness to you, and the impact of the late Larry Burkett. I share your sentiment, and it's amazing to me how many people still to this day reference Larry and his impact on their lives. Countless millions have been uh, touched by his work going back all the way to the late 70s, and so I appreciate that. Uh, it sounds like you all have done quite well. You're hard workers. I love the fact that you're debt-free. I love that you've prioritized generous giving to the Lord, and I realize perhaps you're wondering about you know, your readiness for retirement, just given that you don't have a lot saved up. And yet, um, you know, I think there is some planning to be done here. God is your provider, and that's what we need to to certainly rely on. Uh, you mentioned that your income comes from both the U.S. and Canada. Uh, will you be receiving the, the Canadian uh, pension program? Yes, I, um, I'm just starting to sign up for those um, and uh, so we'll have the Canadian pension plan um, for some. Um, and then we moved up here about 29 years ago. So the first part of our work years was in the U- U.S. farming. And yeah. so I also, we both also have to sign up for the Social Security as yes. well. Yeah. So if you make uh, the meet the basic requirements under each country's system, then you can certainly uh, be eligible for benefits from both countries. Uh, as long as you have enough Social Security credits, then then you'll get that as well. Uh, so I think that's the first step is just to compare the benefits that you'll be receiving, hopefully, hopefully from both the U.S. and Canada against your income or excuse me, against your lifestyle spending so that you understand once you are unable to continue to farm, uh, you know, what that looks like, whether or not that will be enough to maintain your lifestyle or whether there'd be a, a gap of any kind there. Uh, and then putting together a retirement budget, which, you know, most folks live on 70 to 80 percent of their pre-retirement income because they're are debt-free, kind of like you are. The kids are off the payroll if there are kids. Uh, you know, you're not saving for retirement anymore. Uh, so, you're, you know, your expenses come down. And, uh, you know, hopefully the the income that you have from the U.S. and Canada would match that. Uh, in terms of a certified kingdom advisor, Christy, uh, you know, there absolutely are CKAs there in Canada. Uh, and you're welcome to head to our website at faithfi.com and just put in your province there. 
uh, and do a search. You may have, you know, just because of how large geographically and dispersed Canada is, you know, you may have to work virtually with a, a CK who's not right in your backyard. Lord willing, there will be somebody close by. But I'd interview two or three and in particular look for one that is familiar with both U.S. and Canada, just given the fact that you've resided in, and worked in both. But uh, I think that is the next step. I think it would be well worth the time and cost to visit with an advisor who could do, help you develop a comprehensive plan and, uh, you know, help you uh, chart the course for the future. Okay. And uh, would it be good to check with an accountant too? Uh, I think so. Starting place? Yeah. Okay. And I would let the advisor uh, coordinate that. Perhaps he or she has a, a CPA that they work with, hopefully one that is you know able to work both in the U.S. and Canada. You may have to engage uh, a CPA from each country. And you know that, uh, that search engine there at faithfi.com would allow you to Put in your city of choice, and then you could expand that search radius and, you know, find someone who's perhaps one that resides in the U.S. as well as one in Canada, and that way they would be familiar with each system. Okay, well, perfect. Well, I appreciate all the other information you give about um, signing up for Social Security and um, uh, guarding your credit and all that. Uh, You guys are a real blessing, and I thank you so very much. Well, thank you, Christy. That's very kind of you, and may the Lord bless you. Tell your husband we're uh, delighted uh, for you and he as you head into this next chapter of your lives. Hey, I want to send you a gift uh, just as a way of saying thanks for being a part of the program and uh, for your call today. It's called An Uncommon Guide to Retirement, and I think it'll be a blessing for you. You know, it it takes into account listening for God's voice uh, regarding your calling in retirement, helping you to think through family systems and leaving a legacy, even the idea of sabbatical rest in the early part of of retirement. So I think it'll be an encouragement to you. It's by my friend Jeff Hainan, and it's subtitled Finding God's Purpose for the Next Season of Life. So you stay on the line, and if we can, Christy, we'll uh, we'll send it right out to you. But thanks for your call today. That was uh, great to have you on the program. Uh, let's finish up in Chicago. Tracy, go right ahead. Oh, yes. Hi. Oh, Thank Hi. you for taking my call. Can you hear me okay? Sure. I sure can. Okay. Yes, just a quick question. I uh, wanted to know, my husband and I, we are not sure if we're going to remain in our current home. Um, we could possibly be selling to downsize um, when once he retires, which is in the next four years. My question is, does it make sense to start plugging away at our current mortgage by applying extra payments uh, monthly if we're unsure if we're going to be here, um, say like a forever home? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, what is the interest rate on the mortgage? Um, it is, I believe, two point seven. Yeah, okay, two point six seven. Pretty low. So you've got a you've got a really low rate. I mean, for the next year, you could take that surplus that you have and just put that in a high yield savings account and get five percent on it, or at least four and a half, if not five. Um, and so that would be one option. Then it, it you'd have that liquid cash to be able to kind of, you know, take care of some of those moving expenses and and you could absolutely apply all that to your new home purchase. But once the rates come back down to where it's, you know, equal to your mortgage uh, interest rate, then I would say there's no reason not to continue to sock away that money toward the mortgage, bring that down because you're going to roll all that equity into your next home anyway. 
Um, so I would say right now, put it in savings. Don't use it. Put it in savings. But then once those rates come down, go ahead and, and prepay that mortgage. You guys may end up staying there a lot longer than you expect. So I wouldn't want you to hold on to it and then actually find a place to use it. Hey, thanks for your call today. I hope that's helpful. Faith and Finance Live is a partnership between Moody Radio and Faith Fi. Thank you to Lynn, Amy, Tahira, and Jim. Couldn't do it without them. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.